You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn East. Peace be with you. Yeah, the uh, perhaps like uh, never before in, in many of our lives, the world seems to be lacking peace. But we as Christians remember that we serve the Prince of Peace. And the Lord Jesus told us that in this world we will have trouble but he has overcome the world. Um, Let's go to God in prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we just acknowledge that you are the God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. And you rule over them. You are sovereign and good. And we pray that in the midst of the darkness of this world, the darkness of disease, the darkness of social unrest, Uh, the darkness of uncertainty and anxiety and fear that your church will shine brightly. We pray that your spirit uh, will bring out in our lives fruit, fruit of love and joy and peace, and that we as a community would shine brightly in this world and point others to you. We pray for your mercy upon our country and our nation, upon uh, upon this world, um, that you would bring righteousness and peace, uh, and that people would look to you. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, as we're still beginning the year 2021, uh, we're going to do a a short little message today on giving to Christian missions. And many of us maybe grew up in a church where at around Christmas time, the beginning of the new year, there was an emphasis on missions and So uh, basically, before we start a new series, they asked me, what do you want to talk about? And so a couple of months ago, I gave them this topic, and so that's why we're we're talking about it. We're going to go through the book of 3 John. If you have a a Bible, it's the third book back. So the last book is Revelation, then you have Jude, and then you have 3 John. And really, the message of this book, the part we're going to focus on is very simple. It's that we should be generous and sacrificial in giving to those who are sacrificing themselves to take the gospel to the lost, that we should be generous and sacrificial uh, with our financial giving, with our time to help further the gospel through the ministry of missionaries. This last week, I received uh, a marketing email, one among many, perhaps you get tons of these too, but I was struck by the subject line of it. It said, 2021, the year of you... (laughs) Treat yourself, right? And this is kind of, this is the message of the world. This is perhaps resonating with our flesh as well, resonating with our sinful nature. It's like, what is in it for me? Like, what am I going to get? What are my needs? What do I want? And this can also uh, be a danger even for a Christian community. We can just think about ourselves and our programs and what we want to do. And so I want to challenge us in this book to really think about, um, it's, re- it's really the teaching of Jesus as reported by Paul in Acts twenty thirty five. it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And we'll discover that as we look at the book. Now, the book of 3 John doesn't teach us everything that we need to know about missions, right? In fact, there's a, there's a lot of teaching about missions in the Bible. And, it, and 2 John is a nice balance to it. If you look back to the little book right before this, 2 John says, when we support Christian missionaries, we need to be very discerning. We don't, we don't support people who are teaching false things. We support true and faithful Christian missionaries. 3 John says, once we know who the true and faithful Christian missionaries are, we need to support them generously. 
So let's just dive in. Let's just dive into this book. And uh, we're going to start in verse 1, and then we're going to build up to verse 5 through 10. And 5 through 10 is really where I want to focus in on the main reasons that John gives us to generously support Christian missions. This is one of the shortest books of the Bible. It's a personal letter, and it's a letter that the Apostle John wrote to a guy named Gaius. Okay, so just setting a little background here. There's the, the recipient of the letter, his name is Gaius, and John hasn't had any contact with him for some time. But some traveling missionaries, some people who travel around and preach the gospel, have recently been hosted by, by Gaius. Gaius has maybe had them in his home, supported them financially, given them uh, supplies as they go on on their mission. And they've made their way back to John because there's apparently some geographic distance between them. And, and they've reported, man, Gaius is so generous, he's so kind, he's helped us in this way. And, and John writes back just to commend him and say, you're doing a great job. Thank you for generously supporting these Christian missionaries. We could, we could call him giving Gaius. He's giving Gaius. And then there's another guy in the letter who's talked about, whose name is Diotrephes. And Diotrephes is apparently in the same kind of area nearby to Gaius. And even though he may be orthodox in his list of doctrines, he is actually working actively against the Christian missionaries, not only not supporting them, but then even throwing people out of the church who do. So he's, uh, I don't really have an appropriate title for him. We could call him detrimental diatrophies or dastardly diatrophies, but he's, he's who we don't want to be. We want to be like giving Gaius, not like diatrophies. So let's just begin working through the letter with a little bit of background now behind us. Beginning in verse 1, we'll just go verse through verse here, and the main points about why we're giving in verse 5 and following. So it begins, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So it's kind of interesting that John identifies himself at the beginning of the letter, not as an apostle, not as John, uh, you know, the one who leaned against Jesus at the Last Supper, but he calls himself the elder. And there's some debate about this, but but... You know, Peter calls himself an elder in 1 Peter 5, so we have another example of an apostle doing that. But maybe at this point, John is the oldest living apostle. He actually is the elder. He is the oldest living apostle, uh, and he's, uh, he's exercising his elderly role and his elderly authority, both as a, uh, an old, old apostle and as a leader in the church, and he's writing to Gaius. And it's striking how many times he says love, beloved Gaius, I love in the truth. And verse 2, beloved. There's such an emphasis on love, but there's also an emphasis on truth. In fact, if we were to, to, to lay those out in the first three verses, it'd be love, 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 truth, truth, love, truth, love, truth, love. And that's really a picture of true Christianity, isn't it? So we're not, we're not committed to truth such that we're judgmental or hateful or bitter or condemning, uh, but we're also not committed to love such that we're wishy-washy or we're overly sentimentalized. We're, we're balanced. We're people of truth and we're people of love. Verse 2, John goes on, he says, Beloved, I, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So there's really two things he prays for here, which is kind of interesting. He prays that everything would go well uh, with Gaius. I mean, that's a, that's a, a very broad prayer, <laughs> right? That covers everything, that everything would go well with you. And he also prays that he may be in good health. And, and he notes that he's, he's wishing these to accompany 
his spiritual health. He says, if we could paraphrase, I know your spiritual health is really good. You're a person of love. You're a person of truth. The, the traveling missionaries have come back and told me about this. And I pray that your physical health will mirror your spiritual health. I pray that the other, all the other things in your life, his work, his relationships, I pray that will go well. It's, it reminds us that God is, is, cares about the whole person of us, right? He doesn't just save us to, to, to transport us immediately into heaven, but he, he, he made us as physical creatures who have health, who have needs, who have relationships. And that's especially timely in the midst of this pandemic, I think, is that we are to care for the health of others. We are to care for their material and physical and relational and mental needs. Those are things we're to be concerned about. But we realize that most essential and most fundamental, as John emphasizes, is a relationship with God. Because if, if someone has health, if someone has material comfort, if someone has mental stability, but they don't have a relationship with God, then they're, 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 missing, they're missing it. They're missing what they were made for. We go on in verse 3 and 4. John says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came, these traveling missionaries came, and testified to your truth. Right? Gaius is a person of truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth. So notice, it's not just that Gaius could answer the orthodox multiple choice questions 100% correctly, right? He's not just someone who knows the truth, but he's walking in the truth. The things he says, the things he does during the day reflect his commitments, his doctrinal commitments. He's walking in the truth. And John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, so whether, whether Gaius became a convert through John's ministry or whether he's just under his pastoral care now, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that you and my other spiritual children are walking in the truth. Notice he doesn't say, I rejoice, I rejoice in you, Gaius, that all your social media posts line up with what I think they should be. No, he says, I rejoice that you're walking in the truth, Right? And this, uh, this sets the stage then for a number of verses where he commends Gaius for his care of Christian missionaries. And I want us to be challenged by that. I want us to say, why should, I, why should I personally in my budget, why should we as a church give generously to many people we'll, we'll never meet, people we'll never see? And I mean, you know, we can see the new car in the driveway. We can see the redecoration of the living room. We can see all these things. Why should we take our resources and give them to these other people? We begin in verse 5. John says, beloved, again, calling Gaius, this, just this love and truth woven all throughout, beloved. It is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers strangers as they are. So that's a, that's a, we find here the first reason that we support Christian missions is to be faithful, to be faithful to Christian missionaries and to be faithful to God. Now, this is an interesting expression, to be faithful. And John seems here to be referring to Gaius's very tangible, practical support. He doesn't list what it is, maybe Maybe they stayed in his home. He gave them housing. He gave them food. He gave them clothing. He gave them traveling supplies. He gave them money. But in providing these tangible supports, John says, you are being faithful to them, and you are being faithful to God. Now, the word here rendered faithful really conveys the idea of loyalty. 
It conveys the idea of relationship with obligation. Relationship with obligation. I lived in China for a year, and I think we have some Chinese people in the church who can testify to this. There's a word in Chinese that conveys this very well. It's guanxi. Guanxi. And when you, they translate it in English as relationship, but it's more than relationship. It's, it's relationship with obligation, such that if you go to a restaurant, you're like, how are we ever going to get in here? They say, my uncle owns this restaurant. We have guanxi. You're like, we're in, right? There's, there's this level there's this level of commitment where you know I'm obligated to help another. And, and John tells us, Christian missionaries, we have this relational obligation to them. And it, it's interesting, this paradox. Look at the verse. It says, they, he says to Gaius, you've done this for them because they're your brothers, though they're strangers. The same verse, they're brothers and they're strangers. We have in our congregation today Christian missionaries. Maybe you don't know them, but imagine after the service, there they are. You're like, I've never met these people before. They're strangers to me. I have no idea who they are. This is my brother and sister. <laughs> They're both true, right? They're both true. And the fact that they are our brother and sister, that they belong to God, that they're serving him in difficult places, creates this level of relational obligation to them. So we see, first off, the reason that we support Christian missionaries is to be faithful because we have a relational obligation to our Christian brothers and sisters. And when we belong to God, we have a relational obligation to him as our father. Next, we see in verse six, John continues talking about um, uh, these, uh, these brothers, these ones who have traveled to Gaius. Gaius has helped to support them, and now they've come back. And John says about them, they testified, these are the ones who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Why should we send Christianary missionaries on their journey in a manner worthy of God? Why, when they're hungry, should we feed them? Why, when they're naked, should we clothe them? Why, when they're in prison or they're sick, should we visit them? Why should we do that? Because we are obligated, because we are to love them, right? We see here that supporting Christian missionaries practically is a way of expressing love. And you think about those, those are related, right? There's the idea of faithfulness and love, but they're, they're different. They're overlapping realities, right? We obey God and we love God. We're faithful to God and we also love God, right? Those are, those are slightly different. And love speaks of a, a generous overflow of a desire to care for the other, right? There's a, there's a, there's a welling up. I, I, maybe it's, it's a bad example, but I thought of it this morning, so I'm going to throw it out there. So I have three teenage daughters, right? And spring is coming. So when spring comes and finally it warms up, they'll be so glad to shed all the winter clothes and parkas and all that, Right? And, and so why are they wearing spring clothes? Well, at one level, they have to or they, they burn up, right? They, they have to. There's, a, there's an issue of a, a obligation. Right? Your body needs you to wear lighter clothes. But then there's an issue of also joy. There's a celebration. There's a, it's spring. Let me wear nice colors. Let me go. There's, a, there's an issue of obligation. And then there's an issue of overflowing kind of joy that's pictured by love. 
And Jesus told us that this is going to be one of the main ways that we testify to the world that we're his disciples, that we love one another. John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So one of the reasons we support Christian missionaries, not only to be faithful to them because we have a relational family obligation to them, we have a family obligation to God, but we we do it out of love, out of an overflowing love. In 1 John 3.17, John says, whoever has the world's goods, so whoever has financial resources, and sees his brother in need, and shuts his heart towards him, how does the love of God abide in him? He's saying, if you really belong to God, if you've really experienced his love, how can you shut your heart to other Christians in need? There's, there should be an overflow, a joyful overflow of love to those in need. So we see, again, that, that uh, the reason that we support Christian missions is to show our love to the world, show our love for other Christians. We go on to verse seven. We see another reason that we support Christian missions. We read, for they have gone out. John's talking about the missionaries here, the people who traveled and Gaius supported them. They've come back now. He says, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. They have gone out for the sake of the name. That's, a, that's an unusual kind of expression, isn't it? And we talked about the name about a month ago. When we preached on the name of God, I assured the church there would be no Paleo-Hebrew inscriptions shared today, right? We're not going to say that. So going out for the sake of the name, what does that mean? In the Bible, the name of someone is who they are and what they fundamentally do. Who they are and what they fundamentally do. That's the biblical idea of a name. So for example, in the Old Testament, Jacob is named Jacob, which means Jacob, heel grasper, because when he was born, he was grabbing his brother's heel as he came out of his mother's womb. He was the heel grasper. Unfortunately for Jacob, that name also means deceiver. And if you look at his life, he was, he was a deceiver. It, it embodied who he was and what he did. And so here it says the sake of the name. Clearly, the name that's being spoken of is the name of God or the name of Jesus. It's saying Why should we support these Christian missionaries? When they went out, they didn't go out because they didn't have any other job prospects, right? That's not why they went out. They didn't go out because they had Indiana Jones complex and they wanted to experience adventure. They went out for the sake of the name. They went out to let people know who God is and how great he is, right? And we know that who God is and how great he is, the name of God, is obviously the, the climactic revelation of that is in Jesus Christ, right? And so as Paul says so beautifully in Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus, right? At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what they're about. They're about going out and saying, I am here to declare to you who God is, and what he's done to save us in Christ. That's why they went out, and that's why we should support them. As I was thinking about this this truth, I was remembering 
um, a lady I knew a number of years ago who, who went out on Christian missions, who embodied this. She was a young woman. She was unmarried. Her name was Jenny. And, and her, name, she's, her name is still Jenny. <laughs> she's back in the States now. She went to a very dangerous country in the Middle East, somewhere that I don't think you could go to today, somewhere we've all heard about in the news a million times, where if a Westerner goes there, they get kidnapped. And you know, it's just a terrible place. But when she went there, what she was saying was she was saying, the honor of God and the glory of what he's done in Christ is more important than my future. It's more important than my job. It's more important than my marriage prospects. It's more important than life itself. She's she's saying, my life, which I may lose in this country, is less important than the message that I'm carrying because it's a message about the honor of God, of who he is and what he's done. So when we see that, we say, we want to invest in that. We also want to put our financial resources behind that and say, yes, that is most important. The honor and reverence and worshiping of God's name, to go to those places that are so dark and to be bearers of light, to bring a message of light and hope and forgiveness and reconciliation to those who have never heard it. We look at verse 7 again, and we see another reason why we support missions, not only because the missionaries, not only because missionaries engage in the most important task on earth, the honor and reverence of God's name, but we read at the end of verse 7, we'll read all verse 7 again, for they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So one reason, another reason we support Christian missions is the sinful world system does not support them, right? The sinful world system does not support them. So the word that's translated Gentiles here, it's a very literal translation. That's exactly what it says. But many English translations will put there instead pagans, receiving no support from the pagans, accepting nothing from the heathen or something like that. I think that's probably really the idea. It's not that Jews supported the mission, but Gentiles didn't. It's using the biblical language of those outside the covenant people of God. It's saying that those nations, those people who don't belong to God, they're not supporting the mission. So we need to, right? We need to because, and we shouldn't expect them to. Now, there could be several different dimensions of this. Right? If we think about in the Bible, the Apostle Paul did not accept support from the people to whom he was preaching at the time so, um, so as to not call into question his motives. Right? He's not someone who's a huckster, who's selling the gospel. He was a tent maker. He accepted money for his mission from other people, but not from the people to whom he was ministering at that time. He accepted money from uh, other congregations that had come to believe in Christ. So that, that's part of it here is the legitimacy of the Christian mission is, is on the line by our support. Can you imagine if we sent missionaries to these dark places and then the missionaries show up and say, hey, we're going to take, give us your money and we'll share the gospel. It's just, it really undercuts what's going on. Secondly, there is the, I don't, I don't necessarily think this is in play here, but there's the danger of the entangling influence of the pagan world. I, I, I remember this distinctly. 20 years ago, I had a friend, more, probably more than 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I had a friend, we were both in seminary together, and he, he was from Africa, from Nigeria. Quite honestly, he, he and his family barely had an, enough money to live on. And uh, there was an organization that wanted to give him a generous scholarship. 
but he would not take it because he never wanted on his resume that the name of that organization because uh, it had some beliefs that he he thought were unbiblical, and he didn't want to be tainted. He didn't want to seem that he was supporting them or that he was approving of them. And I remember, I can still see it in the hall, he said to me in his vivacious and very loud way, you know, I receive no help from the pagans. <laughs> He's like, I refuse to take this money because I want, I'm not going to taint my work with their name. And as I was reflecting on this, working on this, I, I remember now he's, he's in a position over the whole continent of Africa, one of the most influential biblical leaders in Africa today. And I think about how God has honored him as he chose to honor God. I think more likely here, the, the point that John is making is <laughs> these pagans, they don't see the value of Christian missions. They're not going to support it. If anyone is going to support this work in the world, it's going to be us. It falls to us. How foolish of us to think, to think that the world will value and support the spread of the gospel throughout the world. Now, maybe you saw this in the news recently. Did anyone see um, all, the, all the gifts that uh, Jeff Bezos' uh, ex-wife is now making? Uh, Mackenzie, she's taken her last name, uh, her maiden name again, I think, Mackenzie Scott. Um, and it says that she, in the last few months, has donated $4.2 billion. That's, I, can't, I couldn't even get my mind around that, so I had to divide it by 365. So that'd be $11.5 million a day for 365 days. That's how much money she's given away just in the last few months. And she's given to some fantastic stuff. Like I, I Googled it. NPR, there are 384 different organizations he's given to, uh, food banks, emergency relief funds, all kind, really, really great stuff, not much of it, but nowhere did I see on there Pioneer Missions, International Mission Board. I didn't see anything about taking, and I, I shouldn't expect that, right? I shouldn't ex- In fact, and there are some organizations that she supports that I, I would never support, um, so, you know, we can Google Coca-Cola, AT&T, Kroger, these, all these big corporations giving lots of money to many times, many good causes. But if the gospel is going to be carried to the darkest places in the world, it's going to be God's people who support that, who value that, who give to that, right? We support missionaries because the sinful world system does not support them. We go on and, and, and um, verse 8, John says, this is the words of Scripture, he says, therefore, we ought to support people like these. There's your application right there, <laughs> right? Literally quoted from the Bible. You're like, he's not making this up. We ought to support people like these. It goes on, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So there's another reason why we support Christian missions, that we may be, fellow, we may be their fellow workers for the truth. And that, that word translated fellow workers, that's a word that we find throughout the Bible, it's a word that Paul uses of Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.25, of Timothy in uh, Romans 16.21, right? In other words, when we support Christian missionaries, we actually are part of their team. Like, we're not like some distant, we, we're, on, we're on their team. We're their co We're like Timothy to Paul. We're like Epaphroditus to Paul, Again, thinking about some modern-day parallels to this, I was reminded of a friend of mine 
who, is, who was a missionary in another very difficult place in Central Asia, probably one of the most difficult places in the world to be a missionary. He was a, he was a corporate executive at J.C. Penney back when that was a good place to work, <laughs> when the department stores were not all going bankrupt. And he left that early. He took early retirement so that he could go to this country. He grew the beard. He wore the jalap. I mean, he did the whole thing. He looked like a native. And um, I was chatting with him one time. I said, how many... I know it's very difficult to work in that country. People could spend their lives there and see one convert or see no converts. But would you tell me, I'm just curious, what do you see of hope on the, of the Christian mission in this country? And he said, in my personal sphere of influence, I know of 50 new believers. I was like, that's awesome. That's awesome. When we give to support someone like that, we are participating in that frontline event, it's like the book of Acts. It's like the book of Acts. And we are getting to be the Timothy and the Epaphroditus to these modern day Pauls. He, uh, he visited with us Christmas uh, a number of years ago, he and his wife, and they gave us a Christmas ornament that was a Christmas tree sewn of cloth made from a burqa. Right, made from a, a woman, you know, the covering these women have to wear in this country. Many of you have seen these. Most of you have seen these in pictures and so on, these blue burkas. And we were chatting because this is a way that Christians can make money by doing crafts like this. And uh, he, he, he just made the offhanded comment. Somehow it came out that this woman was older than her husband. And I thought that was very strange for this country, and it wouldn't be strange in America, but it's a little strange in this very, very traditional country for the woman to be older than her husband. And, he t- and I asked why. He said, well, her first husband was a pastor. And when they found out, he had to hold his Bible in the public square, and they chopped his head off in front of everyone. And the reason <laughs> this other man married him, married her, was so she, would, she could live so she would be alive, right? Another Christian married her so that she would not be killed. And, and the beautiful thing is, when we give to Christian missions, we get to be co-laborers with people working in places like that. We get to be on their team. That is a beautiful thing. <clears throat> I know that some of us, some of us are kind of excited <clears throat> about the upcoming football game, right? I'm not really that big into football, but some of you are really excited about the football game tomorrow night, the championship game between Alabama and Ohio. It's even amazing that I know that, but I do. Some of you would be so excited if you got a ticket. You could sit. You, you're invited. You could sit here on the, the bench with the team. You get a jersey. When they win, you get... You get, to, you get to have a trophy that you can take home, just like the team, right? Well, there's a much more exciting, much more exciting partnership that we can participate in, that we can actually be co-laborers with missionaries in the darkest places of the world. We go on to see another reason, the final reason that we're going to look at today about why we support Christian missions in 3 John verses 9 and 10. John says, I have written something to the church. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. 
So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Uh, it's, it's striking in the letter. Nowhere does John say, well, Diotrephes doesn't hold to the true doctrine of Christ. or Di- Di-. He doesn't point out any doctrinal errors of Diotrephes. I think very likely Diotrephes could take a multiple choice systematic theology test and get 100%. But the problem was Diotrephes was really motivated not by an honor and, and the honor and love of God, but he was, it says literally in the, in the text, he was a first lover. He loved himself. He was the original narcissist, the original narcissist. And if, and he, if you ask him, you say, why, why, why aren't we supporting these missionaries? Why don't, we, why don't we put, he probably had some really good reasonable reason. You know, well, we, have, we don't know who they are. We don't know, well, we need the money for this. We need... He probably had really good reasons. We have limited resources. But in reality, John tells us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing, he says it was the reputation of Diotrephes, his prominence, his glory, his agenda, his comfort, that really was taking priority over the service of God. One of the commentaries I read uh, had a really intriguing suggestion. Notice I'm, I'm, I'm hedging this with the word suggestion. It is a suggestion. But while in the first century, we know the name Gaius was a very common name. It's like Bill or John now. It's tons of inscriptions. It's everywhere. It's all the papyri. Gaius is a very common name. The name Diotrephes is not. The name Diotrephes literally means Zeus nourished, someone raised by Zeus, Zeus nourished. And we know from inscriptions and papyri, this was a name of the aristocracy, this would be like someone telling you their name is Gilbert William Mortimer James IV, right? You'd be either like, this person's either old money or they want you to think they are, right? There's a sense of aristocracy or nobility in the name. And there's a danger. I mean, it's very speculative, right? It's very speculative, very suggestive. But the commentary suggests, here's someone who was used to bossing people around in his aristocratic, noble life, and he took that attitude and that position to the church, He's like, I'm in charge, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing this here. It's an interesting suggestion. I don't know. We don't know that that's true. But we do know that there are people who claim the name of Christ. There are people who are, quote, orthodox in the theology, yet go around talking wicked nonsense about other Christians and not supporting Christian missionaries. We could update this. They go around... What what, what would we say? They go around posting. (laughs) They go around posting wicked nonsense. How about that? Um, And they, so there's there's people, not only the pagan world system who won't support Christian missions, but there are other people who name the name of Christ who are not supporting missions in the way that God would have them. So this is a really short little letter, 3 John. You know, there's 66 books in the Bible. So today at lunch, you and your family should read aloud 3 John. There you got one out of 66 right there. You're starting the year right, right? Read 3 John. And as you read it out loud, it'll take you what? One minute, right? Read 3 John out loud. I want you to think about it. I want you to listen. Read it slow. Think through the reasons that 2021, where we put our money, one of the places as a community, as a church, me individually, you, I want to challenge us to be people who support Christian missionaries. One, to be faithful to them. We have a relational obligation to them. Two, to love them. 
Three, for the honor and reverence of God's name. Four, because the sinful world system is not going to support them. Five, to be co-labors with them, to be on the team, to be on the front lines of the most exciting things that are happening in the world. And number six, because some people who even name the name of Christ are not going to support them and maybe even work against them. This book, if we read on in verse 11, John's speaking to Gaius, but I think it's very practical to us. He says, beloved to Gaius, do not imitate evil. Don't be like Diotrephes, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. For us, it's really, it's really like, are we going the way of Gaius? The way of giving? The way of sacrifice? The way of love and honor of God? Are we going to go the way of diatrophies? The way of selfishness and narcissism? The way of self-focus? Now, uh, thinking about the unique time that we are here in history. 2020, for some of us in this church, was a very hard year financially. There, there are people in this church who lost their job. There are people in this church who had trouble paying their medical bill or their uh, rent or their, their heat and air. The, the, that is a reality. And for those people, I would say, if you're part of our church, please reach out to us with your need. We have a benevolence fund. We've given out thousands of dollars to people like you, and it's the joy of our church family to do that. Re- reach out to us. At the same time, I want to challenge you with the story at the end of Mark chapter 12. Right? Mark 12, the widow at, at, the, at the temple, who all she had was two little copper coins. And Jesus says, she put in more than anyone else because she gave all that she had while they just gave out of their excess. So I want to challenge you, if you're, if you're in a tough financial place, still, I want to challenge you to think, hey, one day this week, couple of, let's, let's eat peanut butter and jelly for a day or two, you know, for supper. And let's take, even if it's just five or 10 bucks, and let's, let's invest that. Let's give that. Let's show that God's kingdom and his, his mission is more valuable than eating a hot supper. We're, we're going to do that. Some of us in here, 2020 was a fantastic year financially. We're, we're experiencing survivor's guilt, you know how they have like a, a bomb and some people are not hurt and they're like, why did this happen to me? Some people made more, some of us in here, some of us in this church made more money last year than we've ever made in our lives. And if we get our bank account statement or our stocks, we look at that and we're like, why in the world did that happen? How in the world did that happen? What is God calling us to do? The Bible challenges us that if we store up our treasure on earth, Ultimately, moth and rust will destroy. Thieves will break in and steal. But if we store up our treasure in heaven, we know that it's secure there. Very practically, um, I'm going to tell you the name of our missions minister here, Steve Nair. S-N-E-H-E-R. Steve, it's, S for, it's giving you his email address here. Steve Nair, S-N-E-H-E-R at sojournchurch.com. You, you feel... Maybe you already know, I'm, as my wife wisely told me, she goes, let the Holy Spirit do the application. All right, that's good. <laughs> if you know some Christian missionaries, God lays them on your heart, support them, reach out to them, give of what God has given to you, whether it's two copper coins or whether it's the excess that you have, give, give to that. And if you don't know someone, email Steve. Sojourn has a very rigorous process where we 
don't endorse missionaries unless they preach the gospel, unless they're living in accord with the gospel. So we have, we have lots of names of Christian missionaries. We could say, these people are struggling to reach their support. Their van broke down. They need a van. And you could say, I want to give to that. And what joy then to give to someone who is your brother or sister, but who's also maybe a complete stranger to you. Someone who's a complete stranger, but also a brother and sister, because you have that family obligation to them. As we talk about giving, we remember, we remember this each Sunday, the only reason we can give, the only reason we have joy in giving is because God gave to us first, right? God loved us first. We love, the reason we can love is because he first loved us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread or drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. If you are a Christian, if you belong to Jesus Christ, it is our practice here at Sojourn to invite you to join us in communion. And the way we do that in the midst of a pandemic is we have prepackaged communion in the foyer that you're welcome. If you didn't get it, just during the time of music, feel free to go out and get some and then just take, take the elements uh, reflectively in your own time. If you are not a Christian, if you do not belong to Jesus Christ, we're so glad you're here today, but we uh, ask you to wait to take communion until you've come to know him and made that public with others. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm Kevin Jameson, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com slash east.